Hi guys, welcome along to the Three Men and Podcast, the podcast where three men share their views and experiences around one main topic. Uh, The topic this week being leadership. Uh, Now, as a quick intro on leadership, I know we come from some very different backgrounds on this. Uh, Mr. King has a background uh, serving Her Majesty in the Armed Forces. Uh, Mr. Locke is a very much, uh, you know, skilled up on retail leadership. And myself, I have a background in outdoor activities and scouts. And uh, as a qualified mountain leader, I try not to talk about these things. I think we're going to get three very different perspectives today. Who who found He's kicking off, Matt Ricky. Who wants to uh, come on? One of you take the reins here for the second. We're both pointing at the screen. They're, I'll, they're pointing at each other. This is this is the Zoom. epitome of leadership. Yes. <laughs> yes. You do it. You do it. <laughs> uh, I'll take it. Go on, then, Matt. Yes, yeah. I'll take it. But I just think I, I wondered what your um, initial views were on the. What do you think of when you hear the word leader or leadership? Because in my mind, there's two distinct. Um, pass for leadership and there's boss and leader and you see this meme and graphic on social media all the time which is one's pulling the cart and one's the one's in the cart just shouting at the people to pull it Um, and I'm very much one of the people that pulls the cart with my team and I try and bring my team along with me Um, it it is yeah no sorry but I didn't mean it is that very much that kind of 80s manager versus leader beating with a stick or leading them isn't it forward I agree and I'm sure we've all been beaten with isn't there sorry Matt there's an old phrase in there I think it was managers do things right and leaders always do the right thing and that was the difference between the two especially in retail we used to have that poster above one of the managers doors managers do things right leaders always do the right thing I have that in my office ah Brilliant. There we go. We're on the right track. We're building rapport again, lads. This is brilliant. I love it. I love it. I love it. But what is the right thing? And how do you, how do you as a leader know what the right thing is? Because does it come from the gut? I I don't know, Matt, I'm with you on this. And I have to say, I was thinking to the build up to recording today's podcast that I still like, you, you know, like this Channel 4 SAS Who Dares Wins things and these these ridiculously skilled and experienced kind of squaddies. They're not, are they squaddies if they're in the SAS? Whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, SAS soldiers, they come on and, and they, they talk about leadership. And sometimes they do things and I'm like, I don't agree with that. And, and you know, I don't think that is good leadership. And uh, I, I think they could have dealt with it better. And I, I think there has to be, I'm going to put this out there up front. I think there's an element of subjectivity, uh, you know, to to great leadership. I mean, I think there's a an agreed sort of minimal, um, but I think outside of that, it's like the term professional. I've been debating that this week. What professional means in the modern in 2021, and 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 I wonder if leadership's similar, where we we agree X amount, but outside of that, it, it can be up for personal interpretation. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there as well. From my it? perspective, mm. some of the stuff that they do in SES Who Dares Wins brings me back to when I was in basic training. Like when I when we were in basic training, I was a 16, 17 year old apprentice when I joined. Um, and we spent 12 weeks in basic training. And we had to do stuff which at the time makes no sense whatsoever. Like getting woken up at three o'clock in the morning, told to be outside with your boots and your uniform on within three or four minutes, and then be inspected and have to be absolutely nailed on perfect. And then they'll go in and inspect the bed, the beds as well to make sure they're all made. And then when your beds aren't made, they rip out in your entire wardrobe at three o'clock in the morning. And then you're told to go back in and tidy it within five, 10 minutes, because that's just what you need to do. And at the time, you're thinking, why? What is the point of this? 
But then you get further down the line, and we were talking about this in um, one of the episodes that we've already recorded, but that stress and that being able to cope with things when things go wrong, that it's that preparation for you. Because when you're in the battlefield, there is no, like, you can't just go, right, I'm going to be ready in five minutes because that's when the enemy's going to come over the hill. No, the enemy will come over the hill when they, they decide, not when you set a timetable for it. So it's about preparing for things that actually you don't know what's going to happen. So... And, and getting yourself into that mindset that things that this don't matter. So I, I right. So I totally agree with you, Matt. However, the bit I disagree on is I don't feel you need to break people down before you build them up. I think you can because I haven't gone through what you've gone through in basic training um, and that kind of screaming in my face and whatever other stuff that we see on TV, which must be true. Um, you know, I haven't gone through that. But 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 I think I'm okay with dealing with some of the examples other than the kind of the guy coming around the corner with an AK-47 whilst you're going to toilet we talked about um, <laughs> I've never gone through that you know so I understand that and that might be the thing you know because actually to be able to deal with that you need to go through that but if we're talking about making sure you're ready and being able to deal with certain situations I I I feel, oh God, I hate regret it. I do regret it when I say stuff like this, you know. I feel that you don't need to break down before you build up, but you can work on a base layer and just keep going. But I think that's dependent, on, that's dependent on the starting point because there are some people mm. who have lived a very cushioned life and probably wouldn't be able to cope with that type of stress. I'm guessing that us three men here... Alpha um, males. <laughs> yeah, the definition that. of uh, men. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We've just been discussing our low testosterone levels before we started recording. <laughs> but we would be able to cope with those type of situations. But it's 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 the compound effect as well. So what happens when that happens, then that happens, then that happens. And I distinctly remember a, a time when I was in Iraq and we woke, we woke up early because we were tr crossing the border from Kuwait into Iraq. We drove for about 24 hours. During that time, we were shot at. We had a gas alert. Plus, we had to sleep with our gas masks on. So it's all of those different compound things which, which create this sense of, I'm out of control. But actually, when you're broken down and then built back up to think, actually, this doesn't really matter. because it, and, and we had this conversation at the very end of the last podcast about when things go wrong. When you get to that stage where actually it doesn't really matter, sweat the big stuff, you're still alive, you're still able to go for a shit on a yeah. bucket. And... <laughs> yes. We, it, it's fair to say we didn't go through any of that in Scouts, Matt. I'm happy to put that out there. I mean, we, it had Maybe that's what you should, maybe you should introduce it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know people have tried. It doesn't go down very well. They, they normally end up kicked out of scouting. It's got a bad name at times, doesn't it? Um, but what about? Here's a question then. But what about so the the chaps, I presume, who who are screaming at you at three a.m. to get you ready and build on that? And I, I I'm kind of understanding that. Did, did you respect them as good leaders, or were these just these were people who were senior to you in a hierarchical system and therefore more like managers. But in amongst them, uh, there were some, an you know, there were amazing leaders. And then my question to you is, how did they differentiate? See, I, there was, in my basic training, there were two or three sort of uh, instructors that were there. And you'd get the Ant Middleton type who would just shout and scream. And he was the one who taught us drill. So how to march, how to swing our arms in the right way. And, he was the one that you were absolutely shit scared of. You did not want to cross him because he would actually nail you to the cross and then just leave you there. But there were others, and I remember his name, Mick Yendall. He's still serving now, still still 
out in the field somewhere. God bless he, you, Nick. Yeah, God bless Mick Yendall. Uh, but he would put your, his arm around you and say, look, this is the way we need to do it. So it was good cop, bad cop. And that's the epitome of leadership. You do need those two roles. But as my time through the army evolved, I became more grown up and I started to see things for what they really were, which is probably why I left. Because at, towards the end, like I, I, I've told this example on a previous podcast of my own. But I was in the Falkland Islands and I was presenting radio for BFBS. I was on Forces Radio. and But I was mingling with people who were officer status because they were civilians. They could come over to the Falkland Islands and they were working for BFBS. So they, they had the status of officers. So one night they said, oh, come out, come out on the drink with us. And I was like, yeah, okay, okay. So we went into the officer's mess and we sat there and we were having drinks. And I was only a corporal at the time. So I was above my station in the officer's mess. Everything went well. Then it came to Christmas and they said, come out with us, come out with us. And we went into the sergeant's mess, which is like one or two ranks above where I was. That ended really badly because it was karaoke night. And I said, look, my staff's, my, uh, staff sergeant's over there. Please do not mention I'm here. Just keep me quiet. If I need to go and get a drink, just go and get a drink from the bar. He will absolutely kick my ass. It was karaoke night, so I got called up to karaoke because they put my name up about 10 times for different songs. <laughs> my staff sergeant saw me, ran straight over to me, pushed me up against the wall, said, what the fuck do you think you're doing here? Get out. Then I was called into his office the next day, and he punched me in the face. And it was at that point that I thought, you know what, that type of leadership, that's there is no need for that type of leadership. There's no need for that. We're well, in it's a. Not leadership. It's not leadership. It's is not it? leadership. It's bullying. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, that's that. That's that fine line between leadership and bullying because you can become into a position of power and you can abuse that power for your own personal gain. Mm. It, and that's where that's where you need with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> it does. It does. It does. But it's about so the I... behaviours, though, isn't it? You know, because when you think about that concept of that, that's what we all think about in the army, don't we? You shout it out. And, you know, Sandhurst is a great example of this. You get those sergeant majors that spit and swear in your face and all that. But the real reason for it is because of a behaviour, of a core value. When you think about the old cliche, the old iceberg analogy of how it's small on the top, but it's huge underneath... And that's about your values, what drives you. The reason that you see that behavior than being a bully and being sweary assholes, sorry, um, is because <laughs> the main core value to them is to bring every soldier home. That's their core purpose of why they drive it. And I think that's that segue here to leaders. Uh, they demonstrate um, behaviors. It's about a behavior, isn't it? About bringing people in and that old analogy of making the boat go faster. It's someone that's going to drive behavior to inspire others to do something. You know. Yeah, it's true. We um, in in scouts. So I don't know if I've ever told you guys this. It's not a secret. I just don't always talk about it. But uh, I'm involved in. So it's not necessarily traditional scouting as you may think about it. Beavers, Cub Scout, Explorers, um, but uh, a county group called Hampshire Scout Expeditions, who for something like thirty years now have been running expeditions around the world, and you know, young adults in their twenties, early twenties, usually take young people, fourteen to eighteen to a remote place of the world for six weeks you know this is this is for all intents and purposes extreme stuff um you know that's what i was going to use i was going to say it's extreme extreme scouting (laughs) 
it, it, well, it, <laughs> yeah. it is, it is, you know, and successfully, uh, you know, 99, well, 99% of expeditions have gone successfully. And do you get a speci- Sorry, Alan, do you get specific <laughs> badges for this? Because I know you get badges for quite a lot of things in Scouts. No, you, you get you get the, the kudos of knowing you've gone round the world and had an amazing time, you know, it's kind of yeah. one of those things. You don't get your Skinner yeah. Rabbit badge. You don't get a skinner. I don't think that exists. I don't think that's done anymore. I mean, I definitely skinned rabbits when I was a scout. And uh, I did. Funnily enough, we taught our kids how to skin pheasants, Emily and I, because we skinned rabbits and pheasants as scouts. So, um, um, what my rabbit? Oh, that was sidetrack. Yes. So you're <laughs> yeah, extreme scouting. Right. Extreme scout. And and but you know these twenty year olds and sometimes older. It doesn't really. The age is kind of irrelevant. It's just part of the story. And um, they they have to demonstrate some very good leadership skills because not only are they taking these fourteen to eighteen year olds away, but it's the parents they have to persuade that they're they're in the right. You know they're the right people to take their children to. And we're talking Nepal. We're talking. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the expeditions. Why can't I think of them? Now? Jersey, Peru, Tanzania. Jersey. You know, Emily went to Western Superman. <laughs> oh, Malawi. She went Western Superman. Malawi. I went to Tanzania with some scouts. You know, we we've done some pretty cool stuff as a, as a scout group. Um, but it's the leadership element that's very interesting. Mm. Now, I I think my peer group within this scout group um who are all now my age my peer group you know sort of 26 um they they are sorry no one even right i'm 42 <laughs> for anyone who's listening um i expected these guys to take ricky um you know that i i would have heard them... that the, the problem is alan people heard your age on the trailer to the podcast so <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> you can't pull the well over ago. anybody else's yeah. eyes <laughs> anyway I, I class them very good leaders and i put it down to kind of the situations they've gone through and you know so i guess my kind of thought process here is can you go through normal we all agree normal doesn't exist so this is a ridiculous question from the outset and still be exceptional you know what Mm. happens what okay here go repurposing the question and making it even better hopefully can you go from normal to exceptional and what do you need to go through to become that exceptional leader if perhaps you've had a normal upbringing or is it all kind of nature and it's just built you know who you know that's the process I think I think it's down to the amount of emotional intelligence that you have. Mm. If you're in touch with other people and you're able to empathize and put yourselves in their position, then I think that you're able to lead. And I think that's the main factor when you're trying to become a leader is if you can empathize and have that emotional connection with somebody, you're able to influence them and bring them along on your journey. That, from, that's from my perspective. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll share some stuff. Have you read The Barcelona Way by Damien Hughes? Guys. Uh, it's a fantastic book. Ricky, and, we've never yeah. read any of the books you've never read. read the books, yeah. <laughs> but I do know the, do, does it make the boat go faster? I know that one. You know that well, one, right. Yeah. So we used to use a piece of uh, Damien Hughes' work in uh, a lot of the sessions we did where we used to get team building events. And one of the sessions we do was about creating their non-negotiable behaviours. And you would clearly see the leaders who would take command and say, no, we're having this one. And you could see it, like it was a clear separation. But one of the things, it's a great book for anyone listening. And... So for Pep Guardiola was obviously the manager of Barcelona, but the whole thing was about creating a culture. So we might have to get Ben Benjamin Jury on to talk about this, but it was about creating a culture and it was being transparent and having that integrity. And I don't know if you know this, but there was a guy called Cheeky Bagheerstein, spelled like T-X-I-K-I. And he had a great phrase. So again, sport is a great world. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he worked with him at Barcelona and he had a great phrase, which was talent will get you as... Talent will get you into the dressing room, but your behavior will determine how long we keep you here. And one of the things that Pep created was that culture of three non-negotiables. And he had a really cr- uh, great, you know, cutthroat, 
style of leadership which was based on a word called FIFO, which is fit in or fuck off. It was three non-negotiables, which was humility, uh, team's interest and hard work. If you want a place in this dressing room, you work bloody hard. You put your team above yourself and you, you have humility. You know, I don't care how much you earn, how great you are, whatever that is, that goes. When you come into this club, you fit in or fuck off. And there's a great example that Damien talks about in the book, which is there was a time where on the on the bench, there was a couple of players sitting on the sub and um, one of them was just going, oh, fuck's sake, oh, oh shit, you know, I wish I was out there. And um, they pretty much told him to fit in or fuck off. He said, you're, you know, you're displaying the behaviours that we do not agree. This is how we do things around here. If you don't like it, fit in or fuck off. What he was displaying was he was putting his self-interest above everyone else. He was saying, that should be me out on that pitch. But actually, it's about team's interests. And another last example is, you can find this on YouTube. I don't know who it was, but there's a great example where... Um, there's a, a a moment on the football pitch where in the, the game after interview after they explain something and I can't remember what it was now oh I'm going to forget we'll have to edit this bit out because I can't remember what it was but it was a really cool piece never we're definitely not editing we're never yeah. editing this out this, this, we've never edited this yeah. podcast I know this yeah. is the difference between Ricky and us Matt and I like keep was it Charles Green Ricky, Ricky. Yeah. <laughs> Charles, hashtag Charles Green yeah oh, that's the best, that best was a, that's an in yeah. joke Alan that is uh, an I, know, joke. I, I feel ostracised <laughs> Do you want to explain explain this? Yeah, as Matt's great leadership skills in the first uh, podcast that we recorded, Matt was slick as anything. He just went, yeah, the trust equations by Charles Green. And then when we did the second one, I went, Matt, you've got a really good equation, haven't you, that you use? And he went, yeah. I said, who's it by, Matt? And he went... (laughs) Um, hold on I didn't have my whiteboard prepped <laughs> it's Charles Green Ricky Charles Green um, so great leadership skills there from Matt but but going back to just the Pep Guardiola this is why they are one of the famous one of the most you know top talented teams in the world and Man City you're seeing that success now because they create a culture which is this is how we do things around here and Pep's transparency has energy has integrity and it's about replicating that into the team so I think in answer to what you were saying, Alan, I think it takes a type of person. I don't think everyone can do it. There's an old age question, isn't there, of is it hereditary? Are you born with it or do you develop it? I think it's something that you develop. I never aspired to be a leader. I became a store manager, which I think I was a leader because I hated process. I was about doing the right thing, always doing the right thing. But I do think it's something you develop. What about you two? I mean, and, and this well, for all I'm, the listeners. I'm, I'm, well, I've got a couple of things here, if that's okay. So first of yeah. all, on your kind of culture football, uh, series two of Ted Lasso's coming out on Apple TV+, Plus, which is arguably the best TV series I've ever seen on streaming um, because um, it's all about culture in football. So it's very, very interesting. Um, I find the culture part fascinating. And, you know, let's give Ben Drury, the culture guy, another shout out because uh, he needs as many shout outs as anyone can ever crowbar in because he's amazing. If you're on the video now, Ricky is holding up the book but uh, Ben Drury, the culture guy, that's three times now. The bit I find fascinating about leadership and culture is I've been part of teams where in the pub, when we're chatting about the leader, so to speak, we've all kind of laughed at the fact that, and I don't know the correct terminology from this, but we've always laughed that it's kind of like an accepted dictatorship, you know, because from the outside, you may argue that this person was a dictator. From the inside, yeah, but we all loved it because the culture was right. We trusted them. We believed in them. And, you know, and yes, you could go that they weren't kind of uh, using the finer points of leadership in, come on, everyone, let's work together and achieve this. They weren't doing that kind of huggy, huggy stuff. But were they a great leader? 
yeah. Did we have a problem with the kind of perhaps slightly more dictatorial, dictatorial way they ran things? No, we all loved it because we knew what we were all achieving on that trip. And I think that's where that culture element comes in and allows a bit of compromise on some of the more softer side of leadership. Matt, what are you going to... Yeah, I, was gonna, I had this conversation with um, a group of people this week, actually, and it was to do with Tuckman's model of team forming. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this, but Tuckman's model... I just feel like you've just Googled this, man. That's why you've no, no, some no, experience. No, on the whiteboard behind him. That's yeah, I know the Tuckman model. So yeah, Tuckman's, mod- <laughs> Tuckman's <laughs> model of, le- of, of, of team forming sh- says that when the team forms... Is this there the forming, sti- storming thing? Exactly that, yes. yeah. yeah. So this yeah. is Tuckman's... So when the team forms, there are stages that a team will go through. And during the storming and I think it's the norming phase, one particular person will emerge as the leader. And when you understand this as a leader and then you implement it, different teams around the building, which is what I've done here at, at Safi, um, you can actually see this process. If you take a helicopter view from the top, you can actually see this process being played out because you can see people actually starting to respect one particular person in the team. And it's not necessarily the leader that's been appointed. It will be somebody else who has the experience, who has the ability to talk to people and all of this type of stuff. Let me tell you a quick story. So, when um, COVID happened, Alan's laughing because he's like, this is like no, Jack and Ori. <laughs> no, no, I love it. I was also laughing because I was trying not to burp. And because this is recorded <laughs> and the microphone's this far, I was like, mm, but also smiling, I've been doing that. I love a story. I love a yeah. story. That's the best thing about these podcasts, isn't it? There's just no editing at all. I love it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Carry on, Matt. What's your story about? So, so when COVID happened and uh, everybody was like contemplating their job roles, contemplating what the future of the business was going to be, uh, there was a point where we had to make a decision about furloughing. And I think this was a, a, in August or September last year, we had to make a decision about who was going to be furloughed. And I've heard some examples of people who have worked in companies where people have been furloughed. And the people that have been furloughed have been resented by the people that haven't because they're at home and they're doing nothing. So in order to combat that, I created a narrative around the company which didn't focus on the individuals and who was furloughed, but we actually focused on the greater good and the good was the company. So if we can get the company from point A to point B, and we're all still here, then surely it's worth us having some people at home and some people not working at home. So I think you have to have that holistic view as well and and know where you're going to go as a leader. Because a leader without a plan is just a headless chicken. Well, yeah, how can you celebrate success if you don't know where you're going? And I think in in kind of conjunction with that is the idea of, I've used it before as a phrase about the boat, about if you if you had like your whole team on that boat, it's only going to kind of rely. If you imagine like a sailboat, it'll only go in the direction of that wind. That the wind will push that boat in that direction. But if you stick an engine on it with a leader crying, you know the war cry and all that. But this engine is filled with passion, purpose, drive, and vision and values of where you're actually going. It'll go wherever you bloody want. But it's just that you need those kind of things. It's a combination, isn't it? Which might lead to another episode. There's a whole combination of not just leadership. There's vision. There's purpose hard work so yeah who knows but i think as men as well this will be really interesting for some of the listeners because i i would class myself as an alpha male because when i go into a social situation and this is probably bordering on like uncomfortable talk for for some of us on this podcast (laughs) uh, but as you go into a social situation there tends to be an alpha male and it's very difficult for people to understand that if they're not male if that makes sense because when you go into a situation and you're you go into a social circle and there's five or six people 
naturally one person will emerge as the person who sort of takes charge and says, right, we're going here, we're going to this pub, we're doing this and we're doing that. But how does that happen? How does that, how do you recognize that? I, I think that's a really good kind of thought for her and, and not as uncomfortable as you think because I'm in this weird place, I, I feel, and I don't talk about myself very well, bizarrely, um, that that I can be perceived as <laughs> Wearing a t-shirt that says, I've had a breath. <laughs> well, I, well, this is leading on to my next point, but I can be perceived as an alpha male, but at no point do I think I'm an alpha male because I see alpha males as wearing vests. Uh, interestingly, I'm wearing a vest. Oh, no! <laughs> and, and, you know, a bit more 42. kind of... A bit more Aunt Middleton, I think. I, I think an alpha male is more kind of perhaps leading with fear rather than, you know... Co- whereas I would absolutely say I'm confident. And if I'm in a situation like, you know, let's use the what pub one we are going to. I will go, come on, let's do this, let's do that. Because I can't be bothered to kind of sit there going, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And and that's where isn't is is there a line here between leadership and management because you know using them as catch-all phrases and they may be wrong in this situation whereas leadership would go right guys who what do you want or want to do and then take that into consideration and make a choice perhaps if they're leading with maximum emotional intelligence or is a good leader going actually this is not a good waste of our t- uh, use of our time here the goal is to go out and get hammered and visit as many pubs as possible so I'm going to cut through all that rubbish and just get us in the pub because that's what actually needs to happen right I do this with my kids right when they're arguing over who's got whose shoes and what shoes I go the goal is to get in the car and go to the park not to worry about what shoes you're wearing so but you can also but there are also if you if we're taking this pub analogy about one person separating from the group and going we're going to do this there are certain men out there who would do that and everyone else would just leave them yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah agreed <laughs> so so, so what, it's about yeah yeah, so what does constitute who is in charge? Because if I, I know some people who, if they were in a group with us and they said, right, we're going to this pub, that everyone else would go, what are you want about? Does it we're, not then tap yeah. into sociable, social acceptance? So is it it's, not it's the person with the, Yeah, it's yeah. the person with the most popular idea. So I once yeah. had this thought process that, um, you know, you know when you work in a traditional... So I, I've worked for some big companies, Carphone Warehouse, Fujitsu, uh, International Computers Limited, ICL, just a couple of other big names, like in their day, whatever. And I, I could never get past people worried, not scared, nervous, anxious about the hierarchical kind of chain and people at the top. Um, and I kind of came to the conclusion that there's, there's, yeah, there's no such thing as they're better than us. They just get paid more. So therefore, we have to listen to their thoughts, ideas and opinions, you know, but it doesn't mean they're actually right. They are just in a position where we have to take them on board. Um, and isn't it exactly that? But when you're not being paid and you're not put in that position, therefore, it's about social acceptance. And we go, well, actually, I, I want to go to uh, uh, Weatherspoons. I don't want to go to the Slug and Lettuce. So therefore, I'm following the guy with that idea because that's the one I like yeah well there's social styles isn't there like you could well be a driver kind of person Alan but not necessarily a leader I've seen it where people are you know will will have that kind of aggressive opinion but it doesn't necessarily make them a leader so like what you're saying there Alan I think there's a difference you said that I don't necessarily think I'm a leader but I know that in that situation I would make that decision so is it circumstantial you know, like a leader in a, let's say for me, when I was a leader in Argos, was I necessarily a leader outside? No, not really. Um, so does it does it take a constitute a, a circumstance to be in that defines you as a leader? It's very strange because when I was at school, I was very skinny, very meek, very quiet, no confidence whatsoever. 
the army gave me the confidence that I have now to to have a conversation, to speak to as many people as I want. And when you think of army leadership, you think of it as one person set in the direction. But actually what you're taught in the army is to collate the ideas and formulate a plan around the collective good. So it's finding the best path. So if you've got to get to point B, uh, point A, but you need to go through X, Y, and Z, it's about finding the best path through that to get to, to, to get to the end point, which I think people have this misconception about military leadership, which is we're going to do it this way. So it's, it's all, it's bringing all of that. And that's where the emotional te- intelligence comes in. But I think I've taken it to a, a stage further, which is complete and open transparency. Like if I make any decision, I'll give everybody the backstory about why that decision has been made so that there's no underlying sort of undertones of deceptiveness. That's a transparency then that you have, Matt, which is a leadership quality, isn't it? I'm, tr- I'm telling you this because this is why I think it rather than just saying, no, this is it. You do it or you get out, you know. So, yeah. so that's I think that's a really interesting point there because then we're what we're saying is leaders don't always need to know what to do, but if we go back to my kind of outdoor uh, expedition sort of world, if you're taking a group of novices into the mountains, they will call you the leader and expect you at all times to know what to do. So, so where's the where's the differentiation there, or is that once again circumstantial leader? So in Argos, Ricky, you mm. would have been expected to know what to do at all times, perhaps yeah. with. 10% not quite sure here guys what does everyone think or this is why I'm doing this happy for any better ideas where and is that a sliding scale depending on what the circumstances are then well I think yeah I think there's there's a whole bit of risk in this isn't there because the thing that's coming to my mind now is about process uh, when I think of a manager a manager just followed the process no matter what something comes in uh, arguing a refund whatever no this is the book this is what we're doing but a leader would say What's the right thing to do here for my customer? And then you might it might not necessarily be the correct process, but it's the thing that's going to make that customer happy that will make them come back. And I think there's a difference, isn't there, of, of kind of being too analytical, thinking, right, process, process, process. And a leader would take that risk because it is the right thing to do. So like you said there, Alan, they might not necessarily know the what to do, but they always will make the right decision. I like it. I like Most it. of the time. Most, Most of the time. time, yeah. But I think then if you don't make the right decision, having the open and tr- honest conversation with somebody and saying, look, I did this because of this. And let's take it back one stage, one stage further. There was an opportunity for us to furlough some staff here before we furloughed them. But from an economic standpoint, it didn't make sense for the company. And I made a promise to all my staff at the start of this pandemic that they would not be out of pocket and they would keep their job. And I think the, the furlough scheme that was before that meant that they would be out of pocket because I I want to treat my staff in the way that I want to be treated. So I wouldn't want to go home with 70% of my wage. So I don't want my team to go home with 70% of my wage of their wage. I yeah. want them to go home with 70% of my wage either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, about, isn't it? What about um, a, a leader kind of making the wrong decision and admitting they're wrong? You know, I think we, we live in this world now where... The government... It, well, yeah, okay. So, so no, I'm happy with that. I, I will touch on politics very, very briefly because I've always liked this and it was relevant to us. But when the um, Tories were in, I think it was Cameron, it doesn't really matter, um, and they were going to sell off the Forestry Commission. They were going to sell the forests and everything else. And Emily worked for the Forestry Commission in the previous world, so it's relevant to us. And blah, 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 blah. 
they did a U-turn, right? They did a U. They did an absolute U-turn. And in my opinion, I'm not, I'm not debating politics. I don't really care to a certain extent. Um, I felt they came out of that all right by admitting they were wrong and kind of moving forward with it. Um, what about if we bring that down to, you know, I think war's in a good one. And, and actually, there was a good one from Ant Middleton on when he recreated the mutiny on the bounty. And they were having an argument. They were in the doldrums. So they were basically in a boat, a tiny dinghy, 11 of them or whatever. They were floating. They were recreating the mutiny on the bounty, right? basically and they entered the doldrums off of Australia somewhere and there was no wind no tide for about five days and one guy said no we need to row and Ant was the leader and the guy who said we need to row was like the, the he was in the team as the experienced sailor right he was the subject matter expert right but Ant was the leader the survival expert and everything else and Ant said no we're not going to row because we haven't got the calories to expel. We're going to sit here and do nothing until the weather changes. And they fell out over this, you know. So you've got the leader going with no, the survival leader, the leader going no, because we can't burn the calories. And we've got the subject matter expert going, no, we have to row. We have to row. Otherwise, we're basically stuck here for days and days and days. What, what about that kind of, you know... It, changing your mind, admitting you could be wrong. I'm not saying he was wrong, by the way. I just like that as an example in the story. Ant Middleton did admit he was wrong, actually, because he when oh, COVID he hit... No, not, not to do with Moosey on the bounce thing, but when COVID hit, he was all over his social medias saying... Man, man up, up come on yeah. don't worry about this it's not going to affect us we're we're healthy if you're a healthy man you're not going to get it and then he had a massive media backlash when people started dying and he actually came out and apologized and said look i was wrong i didn't realize the scale of it i was separated from my family in australia i was doing all these tv shows i was wrong it's uh, yeah and this is the thing it's behavior again isn't it it's that behavior that drove Sorry, that Ricky, response I, I need to i need to interrupt because i need to just do an Ant middleton thing before we actually go and dissect this um i think he came out very well from his channel 4 sacking leaving as well i think you know channel yeah. 4 basically tried to write him off as a dinosaur and i think he came out of that quite well as well anyway, but did they Ricky, sack him I, from that program did they the sas they he's, not he's not on it anymore no, oh, right. it's, it's quite interesting. So Channel 4 is the diverse channel, right? Mental yeah, health, yeah. kind of physical ability and whatever other... The IT crowd. Are. Yeah, yeah, all of that, right? They do all of that very well. And then they've got this guy, this white male heterosexual guy like us, basically, screaming and shouting and telling people to man up and stop being snowflakes. And... Um, they, they didn't mix. So he says he left, I think. they No, they say he left. He said he was sacked. Um, and they tried to kind of discredit him in a big PR thing. And uh, actually, I thought he came out of it quite well, personally. And he basically but, um, said, this is who I am. This is how I've survived my entire life. I'm not going to change. There you go. Yeah, yeah rather which, than which kind was of acceptable. going, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll change. I'll, I'll wash my tattoos off. Not that they make you any different type of person. <laughs> in the they I did do. They make tattoos. you manly. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I can't have them. I'm not an alpha male. I can't have a tattoo. Yeah, this is tattooed hair. It's not real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, right, though, sorry, I think you're Ricky, right. You for listeners, go for listeners yeah. of the podcast, Ricky's pointing at his chest hair. I've got okay, my shirt. Open buttons, shirt. Yes. Yeah. He's bare-chested like a man, like a bear. He's like, like Vladimir Putin. It's yeah. summer, isn't it? Yeah, in the UK right now. Um, but yeah, it's that acceptance, isn't it? So him coming out there, that's a great leadership quality that this is it. I'm, it's humility, isn't it? I'm owning up. I'm being honest about myself. One of the things I was going to say is when you think about what you said there, him coming out and saying, I'm wrong, would we have seen Boris Johnson, Donald Trump, any top political people saying, I'm wrong? 
not necessarily, but one of the things I was going to say when you were talking about politics was a lot of these leaders that we now have, like, uh, I'm not speaking too controversial here, but Boris Johnson, they went into politics because they believed in something. It was an MP. They wanted to be an MP. Did they really know that they were really going to be a prime minister? So do sometimes people naturally become a leader accidentally and therefore that's not really their role, but they have to do it? But when yes. you, Yeah. Yeah, but, oh, but also, <laughs> is there then a level where they're not allowed to be wrong? So, you know, when you see these very senior in what they do, people... Alex Ferguson and- is a perfect example. Alex Ferguson is a perfect example. Alex Ferguson, the most successful Premier League manager, fell into management. He was on the verge of being sacked because he was that bad. He turned it around, and then as his legacy and legacy grew at Manchester United, nothing he... Even now, there's nothing he can do wrong. Like he, he got rid of David Beckham, he fired Yap Stam, got rid of Ruud van Nistelrooy. All of these players at the top of their peak, but he recognised when people were just about to lose their uh, talents or lose their skill. And I don't think there's been a successful player who's left Manchester United under Alex Ferguson. I think well, look he's at the success rate as well after when he left, yeah. it dropped massively, didn't it? And Arsenal. So I think, well I think to, yeah. to elaborate on your point, Alan, I think there is a stage where a leader becomes untouchable um, because of their because of their back history and their and their record of success. Well, sure. when you think about controversial then here, so let's let's talk about Donald Trump, right? And controversial, I'm going to drop it in there, Hitler, right? Okay, I know, that, but just because facts, Hold right? on, history. Hi, this is a light-hearted <laughs> podcast, friends. You know, Ricky has okay. just dropped two of the most serious <laughs> names you can. Hit us but, with it, Ricky, yeah. keep it In the same okay, sentence. I'll keep it in light-headed. <laughs> Whether people agree or disagree with well, we, we will definitely disagree. We, we all disagree with Hitler. Just to clarify, we disagree. Okay, this is getting edited. I'm not going to talk about it. No, say, you don't edit it. Yeah, don't offline. edit it. For our patrons that eventually joined. No, um, Donald Trump is a leader, no matter what. Probably the most controversial figure in the world, but he got people to believe in him. And that is a true quality of leadership, you know, whether it was all fake or paid or fake news, whatever. But you saw it, didn't you? People were like starting riots because of it you think oh right but it's that quality that that he has that you just think yeah anyway you know i do listen to it one of the things that tina and i do every single night is to go to bed but put on a documentary about world war ii <laughs> and this is how we fall asleep whatever we... floats your boat Matt, whatever <laughs> yeah, you guys yeah. are in i mean so i'm into some weird stuff but world war ii documentaries is not my so i thing watch i watch a lot of stuff about hitler and there was there was a program which i watched three nights ago about the rise of hitler and his rise because you think how can a person with such right wing like massively incorrect views rise to power but it was all to do with the social economic output from germany and he tapped into that and tapped into the working class and realized that actually the upper class in Germany weren't doing anything to further the greater good. So he stepped into that leadership role to create this greater good. He went off massively off piste <laughs> and decided to kill millions just of just people. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. 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 But, but, but that's what Trump that's how, did as well. Yeah. 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 He tapped yeah. into that lower lower class narrative that we're not being looked after by the upper class and that's where the separation of leadership happens like you you can become too elitist so yes there is there are leaders that are untouchable but donald trump was untouchable he's been voted out of office Mm. he thought he'd become untouchable that's where the danger happens does that come back to social norms and uh, social acceptance and things like that yeah Yeah, and connection as well isn't it people feel connected to someone quickly change the subject yeah Yeah. (laughs) 
I was okay with Trump. Hitler made me nervous. <laughs> Sorry, Trump, yeah. Trump, this, Trump, you know, I can deal with. This I nearly podcast started is definitely going to be explicit. Brexit and all it's not going to show up in the SEO term, is it? No, it's no. not. No, it's not even jump on those stuff. <laughs> Right, I think, I think, let's uh, let's build to, you know, what we like to do on the Three Men and Podcast uh, podcast is all, always end with three things, one from each of us or three from each of us, depending on how many we've got. Obviously, listeners, we're trying to be as profound as we can. And uh, if you don't think Ricky should edit this, uh, please let us know. If you think it should just be... It'll already be out by then, Alan, so they'll oh, have yeah. no choice. Well, for next week... <laughs> we're definitely not editing that out. Yeah, yeah sorry. We're not yeah. editing anything. This should just be sent out as is in mine and Matt's opinion. So we're going to... Put Ricky in an alpha male leadership arm lock and uh, make that happen doing social acceptance. Right, my point being, guys, do you want to do one thing each, making three or three things each? One uh, thing. Well, what's the question, Alan? What's the question? Is it the takeaway? No, I, or... I, I think I think it's a ta- I think it's a leadership takeaway. Just your okay. thought on leadership. Um, whether you want to do that from the perspective of what you think makes a good leader, or something you've taken away from this conversation. I I think you know because we're not here to kind of create leaders. We're just discussing leadership in a, as a kind of style and form and everything else. So uh, yeah, something. Uh, let's go with a takeaway. Okay, right. I'll well, go first then. Yeah. So my first takeaway is never to mention Hitler on a podcast. <laughs> but no, the main the main takeaway I think for me is about when you think about true leadership, it's about behaviours and behaviours drive success. So whether it's a culture that you create by embedding those behaviours, it takes a type of person to be a leader. But I really think it all boils down to great behaviours and demonstrating that. And that's what then inspires other people to then follow you and create that, you know, following and create success. So yeah, that's my takeaway. Okay, my takeaway um, was also going to be about Hitler, but we've got, we've, we've got to stop mentioning the word Hitler. Um, so the se- my second takeaway is that I think that one size doesn't fit all. I think different people need different leadership styles in order to get the best out of them. So, for example, when I was younger, I needed that military discipline in order to make me go to the next level. Then I went into my first corporate job and I had a different type of leadership. And you outgrow different leadership styles because my last boss was very like, go and do whatever you want to do. I trust in your ability. And now my boss here is like, what is he doing? <laughs> so it's it's like there's there's different leadership styles with different people. And I think at different stages, you need to identify the leader which will bring the best out of you. There you go. Uh, I, yeah, that, that's really interesting, Matt, isn't it? Because I know nothing about football, but I happen to know that a couple of teams, I think Southampton was one, would get rid of a leader who got them to a certain success because they didn't feel that was the right leader to get them to the then the next level. So yeah, I see that. Football's quite a good place. Um, mine's, um, mine kind of touches both of yours in a kind of non-touchy COVID safe way. Um, in, in that, um, I think my thought on my takeaway on leadership is actually 100% about culture. And, and I think, you know, if you're if you're kind of wondering about your leadership style, am I a good leader? Do I want to be one? Or, or anything like that you know I think start working on your culture and your values and your behaviors and and that will absolutely help you build a team who are united whether you're then the leader of it or not is up for you know discussion but you will have a united team so uh, yeah I think it's as much about teams as it is about leaders so right that's it thank you all for listening to I forgot I had to say thank you and do an outro at the end um let's do a kind of round robin thank you and then we are gonna go and we will see you next week for some more three men and podcast fun shenanigans mentioning names that really shouldn't be mentioned on podcasts debates on whether we should edit or not and more and more and more so thank you all so much for listening Matt Ricky say your thanks and we are done say your thanks 
<laughs> Say your thanks. Yeah, thank you for listening. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, subscribe, share, and uh, see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.